0: Hello, listeners. This is Jim, the keys bartender. I hope this is clear. I've been using this microphone off and on for a couple years now, and I'm surprised that I'm getting quite the echo on my laptop. So I'm back to try and record on an alternate device, but let's see how it works out. Uh, Well, uh, we had a rather I speak to you, yesterday was Monday, so I did speak to you yesterday. Uh, Today was a day off, I went into the gym and uh, worked out for a bit, and then came home, zoned out for a while. You ever get that thing where you just don't feel like doing anything? And all I did was think, think about things, about the podcast, about my other uh, ventures I have going, spoke to my father for a while, but, you know, there's always something that needs to be thought about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, as long as it's not causing me any disruption or, or consternation, things that bother, as long as it bothers me, it doesn't bother me. And I figure it's all right to think about things. And usually the day, the day I have alone to myself, is something where I can think about things. Now, tonight... Even though it is my day off. I go into work because they're doing a wine tasting. And you're thinking to yourself, you say, hey, Jim, what are you going to, you know, do at a wine tasting? You know, it's funny being the main bartender at a restaurant. And when the liquor reps come in, I think they've all gotten a heads up. That the bartender doesn't drink. So they don't even really talk to me. They say hello, they greet me, but they don't even talk about any of the liquors. I don't think I don't know why they wouldn't, because as a bartender, it's not like there's a hundred different liquors in the in the bar. Let's say a hundred different liquors and wines and beers and all together and different combinations. And Most bartenders don't drink all of it. They could tell you what it tastes, they know what they like to taste and all that stuff, but you you shouldn't be. And if you do drink all of it and you know exactly how it tastes and you like all of it, then I'm not the one to tell you you have a problem, but on upon consideration, you might have a problem if you drink everything, everything all the time. I haven't, run into too many people like that. I know. But usually people stick to their own their own vices, the things they like. So the wine tasting won't be coming. They said, well, at least you'll be able to know how to sell it. And I said, well, you know, in our kind of place where I work, there's not a lot of nuances to the wine list. There's about 10, 12 different types of wine. And at family restaurants, you don't get that multifaceted, you know, the big bottle. You you don't sell a lot of bottles of wine. You don't sell weird varieties because when it comes to wine, you have the big, let's call it the big six. I'm going to call it the big six. You have your whites. You have your Pinot Grigio, your Chardonnay, you're solving it your own blanc, and I guess you could throw in a champagne there. That'd be four, right? And among the reds, you have the big three. There is the cabernet, the merlot, and a pinot grigio. No, the pinot noir. Noir being the, the uh, word for black in French. So it's a pinot grape, and instead of a Grigio you have um, you know Pinot Noir denoting one's white one's red. They're made from the same grape. But from years of experience, at least currently, at least currently, they're the wines that people drink and the sparkling wine there's Prosecco and champagne and there'll be other ones you know every so often someone come in they want a rose uh, years ago whites infidel was a, a big deal. Zinfandel is mainly dark red. And uh there's and but after those seven, there are tons of varieties of wine. There's red blends, there's Shon Blanc's, there's Beaujolais, there's Bordeaux's. Christ, I'm not even getting close to it. There's um there's so, so many different ones. So many different Uh, There's Rieslings. And I haven't even touched upon most of them. If you go through. But the Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc, and the uh, Zinfandel's Blush. The Rosé was really big years ago. I worked in catering. In catering, they used. What was the wine they had? They had a Cabernet, a Chablis. Chablis Chablis used to be really big. But you don't see Chablis too often. It's a really delicate white wine. But usually with like Chardonnays. If you're going to describe a Chardonnay, one of the big things is oakiness. Like there's a lot of wines that are oaky. And with Cabernets, they want something dry. Right? And Merlot's mild. Merlot is always kind of like the red headed stepchild of wines, as well as the white Zinfandel. Zinfandel is normally deep red. So when they first came out, you know, it's funny when someone's looking at the menu and they go to a, a restaurant and they see Zinfandel, uh, a lot of people would just think white Zinfandel which is more of a blush wine. So they order. So when it comes to ordering wine, when people go out, they look at it, they might as well be ordering from a Chinese menu in Chinese. You don't know that a certain Chardonnay from the Willamette Valley is necessarily a good one. They just know it's going to cost them $85 or 127 I worked at a place in Isle Morada where they had several bottles over three hundred dollars, a couple, a couple of them over six hundred dollars. The servers used to get really the servers, which were at this place, happened to be all female. Uh, some of the younger ones used to get super nervous just ordering an expensive bottle of wine because they knew they were going to have to present it. And it's strange when you come up with like really fine wines they're held in reserve, a lot of them. Meaning they sit sit around for a while. And the more expensive ones get to be held back and released. So if they had a really good year, let's say, uh, there's like regular Cabernets out there. There's a Louis Martini Cabernet. It's called Louis Martini. And one year... I remember back in 2000, was it 2006, they had a really good year. And when the vintage is really good, the price per bottle goes up dramatically. And when the bottle goes up dramatically, it becomes more of a, I wouldn't call them necessarily a fad, but they're really you know they they up the price it gets a good rating in a couple of the wine spectator wine spectator magazines and a good review on different uh other publications and a good write up in a couple newspapers and a vintage a vintage when I talk about a vintage it's a vineyard and a the year they produce uh the item. and there's vineyards that have multiple locations so you have to check those too so you could be looking at a bottle of chardonnay from a company and they could be produced they could be making the chardonnays different places they'll they'll list the finer uh vineyards will list where it comes from you know the the uh central valley napa willamette loire region of france Lambrusco, I don't know if that's a region. It could be Lombardi region of Italy. They'll tell you where these things come from. And almost all of um, the really good wines, they they seem to have a, a longer, when you say longer shelf life, they don't make a ton of them. They do make a ton of them. But they, they hold them back because the same, um, let's say this 2022 is really a great year, right? Well, they'll sell it, the price will be great for the wine this year, but next year it'll be better, and three years later it could be a lot better, especially the red wines. So the red wines seem to came, but the th- thing is, the finer the bottle of wine, the older the vintage, right the more distress and age the cork becomes. And cork has a tendency to dry out, the original cork. And good bottles of wine, really good bottles of wine, they're still adhering to the cork thing. Cork's made out of out of wood, a special wood, right? And if it's not rotated and kept moist, like you're supposed to have it tilted... Thereabouts, about 45 45 degrees downwards towards the cork, and you kind of turn it. You turn it um, every certain amount of time, about 45 degrees, or maybe 90 degrees. You turn the wine so it's balanced, it ages well, and you get the cork. I I think it's part part for the cork and the other part, just to make sure that the wine lays up correctly. I don't know what the correct terminology is. But that's fine wine. Years ago, when you go to a wine, uh, a liquor store, or a wine and beer place, or just wine alone, they did. It was so strange walking in it because you didn't know w- what the wines were. You knew you knew that there was Burgundy. You knew there was Chardonnay. There was you knew there was a company called Ernest and Julio Gallo. I'm talking about in the in the 80s there was blue nun there was um, one bottle that had like straw around it and uh, afterwards a lot of Italian restaurants they would just use that bottle for putting as a candle holder and there was just not a large selection of wine and you had them and the, the varieties were relatively few and far between and you'd have to go and then it was always like a it it was always a thing that people denote their class differences you know you could tell someone's from a different social class by their knowledge of wine and you see it in the movie see it in James Bond movie you see it in any movie where you have super wealthy people they were talking about a Rothschild nineteen twenty-two or Lafitte. These are all rare brands. And there, it's the interesting things about these wines and things like that, when they get up to the high nether regions of price and selectivity and of specialness of these wines, the prices go, uh, they've been sold at auctions for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the interesting thing about buying these wines, the 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 risk is that there's no guarantee that the wine did not turn. And wine turns, it becomes vinegar. So you could open a bottle that you bought for hundreds of thousands of dollars and it could have turned out to be bad. I've heard stories of uh, a friend of mine lived in Paris for a while. I don't want to give the person's name, but her... Uh, Her boyfriend at the time was working on a construction crew, and they were renovating an old home. And when they went into the basement, there was a forgotten, a forgotten wine cellar. Now, obviously, it must have been behind some wall or a collapsed wall or something, but they were in Paris, and Paris was relatively unscathed during World War II. Um, it was an open city, I think, they, and when the Germans, uh, when the French surrendered, the Germans moved in, and when the Germans surrendered, they, they exited without a battle taking place in there. So that's important to know in a lot of different places, but in Paris, they were doing a renovation. They went to the basement, they found the wine, and they started pulling wine bottles out, and they had no idea what they were drinking. They had no idea what they were drinking. Nowadays, there's so many resources to really look at the wine. And you, you can buy an application or get an application on your phone. It's free. And you can just scan the picture of the bottle of wine in the year. And it will give you the score that it got from whatever institution that it's, uh, the app is coming from. So you can see, well, this is a – at one point there was a, a wine – when I was drinking – there was a wine that normally sold. It was a Cabernet, and it sold around eleven dollars. But it had the same rating and taste profile of a lot of wines that were sold at forty dollars a bottle. So we bought those. We bought a lot of you know whenever it was on sale. I bought a bunch of them. Every so often there'd be like um, some vineyard that's known for. Making passable wine. And then all of a sudden they come out with a really good one. Right? So when I go to a wine tasting, I think about, you know, p- some people know what they like. There's people out there that like really good wine. There was a, I had customers that used to come in regularly to the restaurant I worked in. It was uh, a little finer dining, it was right up the road here and it always even though we had 70 bottles of wine on our wine list pretty pretty healthy wine list for down here and uh at least 70 cuz it went up it, it went up to at least 80 something and there was only a couple vacant numbers there and so we had all these wines, but they would be always bringing in these small vineyards. And there was some excellent wine they brought in. Excellent. And I could smell it. I can smell. I could tell by the cork whether something. I get, Um Let's just say I could tell when a little, a little. I don't know if it's what we call it confirmation bias. I spoke about it before. But. If I could smell a cork for a cab or a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc, sometimes I can tell what if it's usually of, a, of the better variety or the kind that you sell at the gas station. When I was drinking, I used to buy wine at the gas station all the time. I used to buy wine in a bag in a box. You three liters. You get three, three liters of wine. Matter of fact, there was this company. Oh, one of the varieties failed to mention was Malbec, and every so often a variety of wine gets very popular, and Malbec was one of them. And they were, uh, even though it has a French name, it was really pop, it, they were from Chile the best Malbecs at the time. And it was probably uh, 2010, 2011, 2012 when everyone was going crazy for Malbecs. They were. And the thing about certain wines, another thing about wine, and they don't really tell you this, wine bottles, it's like once you open a bottle of wine, Most bottles of wine, especially the red bottles of wine, some of them more delicate profile, left at room temperature, even corked, they will turn uh, poorly in less than 24 hours. So there's things you can do that kind of halt the turning of the wine. There's something that happens to the tannins and everything in the wine once it's open. Not so much in white wines, because white wines, they hold co- at colder temperatures. Right? I don't know why they don't do that with red wines, holding cold. That may change, change the taste of it anyway. If you just say, once you open it, you put it into a cooler. And another thing, just so, a lot of Europeans tell me, especially French people, they say that we serve our white wines too cold, and our red wine's too warm. That's another thing. So getting back to the red, when you open up a red wine, uh, like I said before, white wines are more forgiving. Forgiving with the way they hold up. If you put them in the fridge, it's usually pretty good. The next day, the next couple days. But red wine, especially Malbecs, Pinot Noirs, and then Cabernets, they turn so quickly. They have all these things where people pump uh, nitrogen in them. They make them inert. Nitrogen's a gas that's uh, inert, so it doesn't interact with anything. Or, you know, put in any of the noble gases, I guess, that would not interact with the wine. But, or take, create a vacuum where you take the air out of a bottle. That slows it down. But every time when they sell, uh, when you're a restaurant, a lot of people don't really understand this they think just because you sell twenty twenty five uh wines that you're gonna sell each one of those wines by the glass now we tend to do we do sell those wines by the glass all the wines that we have uh because we don't have a lot and we don't have the super expensive ones I think the most expensive one could be forty fifty dollar bottle but you can see how an expensive bottle of, let's say, a red wine, a red blend, of Opus One, for perhaps which is considered a premium, not tops, but premium red wine, goes for. I think Opus One could be three hundred dollars a bottle now at a restaurant. It sells retail. I I'm not exactly sure because I don't price wine as much, but it's over a hundred dollars retail and they have to in restaurants people say the markup's so high well the markup's high because you you have a certain you there's a possibility when you get wine you know especially when you get the high-end wine people want to taste it first when they're spending a lot of money and they and if you give someone a taste of wine they say i don't like this wine they don't pay for it and most places At most places, I'm sure there's places that have rules for certain wines. If you ordered this wine, you're going to have to give a reason for it. Now, like I said, the servers always get nervous about it. I mentioned something about dry cork. If the cork is dry when you're opening a wine, it'll crumble. And when a cork gets in a wine, it's called being corked. You might as well replace cork with being screwed because you're screwed. Once you, it's a fine bottle of wine, you got cork in it. It's ruined. It's ruined. Now, is it really ruined? Probably not. You could probably just strain it out and stuff like that. Uh, some people may say no big deal, no big deal. But some people have a legitimate thing saying that this is corked. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pay for it, and they're nervous about that because it can happen. All the time. It happens all the time with some of the fine wines that it, from older vintages. So here I'm going to the, the taste test. And I'm going to have to learn the, the language of the wines and stuff like that. Now, I I understand. I don't really remember. All I remember with Chardonnay is this oaky? this isn't oaky. Now we're going to have a Kendall Jackson. Do we have one that's not Kendall Jackson? If you're gonna have a Chardonnay, you're gonna have one that's not Kendall Jackson. Obviously, it's gonna be if you have one that's Kendall Jackson, the other one won't be not Kendall Jackson. But will it not have the same taste profile? This is less oaky. That's all I want to know. This is less oaky. Or this Cabernet. This one's drier than this one. This one's a little more full body. Now, at the restaurant we're having, I always suggest to say Malbec. And other wines aren't necessarily like a Chenin Blanc, a Riesling. Rarely do we get people get people asking for these things, right? We don't. So carrying them and then having someone order one by the glass, and then it could be another week before someone orders it. So once you open that bottle of wine, if you don't sell it within a day or two, you pretty much ate that bottle of wine. Unless you have something else to do with it. Like make a sangria, which I always try to do. Once a bottle's open, I tell people, I say, listen, the sangria costs about the same, we charge about the same as we do for the better wines. So if you want to recover the cost for a wine, use the, people say, yeah, but the wine in that bo- bottle costs $9 a glass. And they said, well, if you charge $9 for a sangria, you got to even up things. Yes, you're putting a little, but you're not losing the money on that. And you can always, the, the well wine you use for happy hour, you can, you can still use. But you want to recover as much, much of the cost of the bottles of wine." You get to you, you recover that cost. You don't have to use it for cooking and things like that. Some people say it doesn't really matter. You're going to still be making the same... You're going to be making a little more profit if you use that um, well wine. Yeah, but you're going to be using less of it. Right? It's all about making money. So... Uh, We've all been, well, if you're a grown-up, you've been to the restaurants where they have the huge wine list, the huge wine list. And they have the house wines. You can just say whatever house red you have, house Cabernet, house Merlot. I went to a, uh, when I was drinking about seven, eight years ago, I went to a restaurant, a pretty big chain restaurant. I don't want to shit on them. Uh, And it was in Florida City, which is not, it's the gateway to the Keys. But we were just stopping to have something to eat. And I figured I'd have a glass of red wine. Well, don't you know, I ordered a Cabernet. And I said, just whatever Cabernet you have, by the glass. And 10, 15 minutes, they come back, don't have a Cabernet. Now, we had ordered our food. And I said, okay, I'll take a Merlot. And uh, we're eating our food and stuff like that. And they come after the, we we're, we're get we got our food and I'm eating. And they come back and say, I'm sorry, we don't have any Merlot. So you got any red wine? I'll take any red wine you have by the glass. And they said, okay. And they come back. Uh, they come back towards the end of our meal and say, uh, we're sorry, we don't have any red wine. And I said, well, it's the end of the meal right now, so it's kind of ridiculous to... Uh, even say that but i mean i understand that but it, and i realized it wasn't the server it was the the bartender who was saying no red wine no red wine that's unusual that is highly unusual i've been places where they ran out of certain types of beer but you rarely should ever run out of a just a whole thing of red wine it's like it's the next the only thing worse is say we ran out of soda which is possible if you run out of co2 you can run out of soda if you don't have bottled soda or you run out of water you don't have any water we don't have any water we don't have any red wine so if jesus were to come in he wouldn't even be able to change that water into wine so what i do tonight when i go in for a wine tasting i'm going to bring the wife and I know she has a discerning taste. But, and they're going to be trying wines that she likes. Cabernet, maybe. I, I tell her Merlot. I don't know. If you're a restaurant, if you want to carry a good Merlot. <clears throat> because first of all, Merlots and I'll, one of this catch all. And people say, I'll have a red wine. And people Cabernet or Merlot. And they go, 50-50. Give me a Merlot. Because I know Merlot is a little softer than a Cabernet. And rarely, you know, and and we had a really good Merlot. We had a decent one or two Merlots at the restaurant I used to work at. But you you didn't sell a lot of those. You didn't sell a lot of those. You got to sell the things that certain family restaurants just have to have a certain bottle, numbers of bottle wine. And uh, I need to get just the big taste profile of it. They don't understand. If you're going to go up to a table right before someone orders a chicken parm sandwich with French fries, that they may not necessarily need a sommelier. With sommelier is a wine expert that handles uh, wine at fine establishments. They don't even understand that. When you come up and start talking to them, Some it's it's so funny when servers or bartenders come up to people and start talking to them about their expertise, their areas of expertise, that person's area of expertise. I mean the server and the bartender. And start using lingo that you wouldn't even understand. You don't... There's no reason. You need a course to understand what, you know, fruit forward means. You know, it's, it's really... You taste some overtones of, uh, of licorice or vanilla or, you know, slight coffee or cherry, citrus. All these things, all these things mean nothing to certain people. They just want to know what they're going to drink. And for 95% of the people that come into the restaurant like we had, they want a white, red, pinot grigio, Sauvignon Blanc. Chardonnay, not oaky sometimes, a Cabernet, a, a Merlot, a, a Pinot Noir. Maybe, you know, maybe you can have two Pinot Noirs. Who knows? But if you have too many bottles of wine, then you see, you just end up pouring, out, pouring a lot out. Like I said, it doesn't have a Especially the red wines, once again, has only a very short shelf life. Well, this was more of a hint for people thinking about getting a restaurant, as how easy it would be. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening, and uh, just for you know, there wasn't maybe not much well-being, the thing about being well. But maybe you can learn something when you go out to a restaurant, and you can think about, you can think about the things you're ordering, and you know they do give descriptions. Good restaurants they give a description of what the wine is like, and generally there is not a big difference between uh, when you go to retail, there's not a big, let's say you get a $40, uh, $40 bottle of Cabernet. If you're not unschooled, I, I would guess that you might not be able to tell the difference between that and a $150 bottle of wine or a $300 bottle of wine. It is not exponentially better. They are not exponentially better. I've tried some really high-priced wines, and they're good. They're different. But a good Sauvignon Blanc, let's say, that sells for like $25, um, will not be one-tenth as good as one is $250. It won't even be half as It could be almost indiscernible. So... Sometimes buying these wines and looking for these things is kind of like lighting your cigar with a $20 bill, showing people that you can afford it. Just like the Porsche Cayenne, that SUV they got. Look at what I got. Not necessarily a better vehicle, right? There's vehicles you can buy for probably half the price, just as good, with lower reports of quality issues. So just keep that in mind. In life and in purchasing wine. This is Jim the Keys, bartender. Have a great day. Bye.